Hi, this is Pastor Wilson. Thank you for tuning into Renew Church OC. The exciting news is that we moved up the street to Brea's Curtis Theater, and we love it. We'd love for you to come to see the space in person. Our current series is Spiritual Resilience, where we walk through Ephesians chapter 6, learning how to put on the full armor of God in our daily lives. It's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle, but if we are blind to Satan's schemes, then we won't be able to fight back. I hope this series helps you see the battle and fight it with other believers. All right, everyone, if I could get your attention, please. If we could finish up our conversation. It's always hard to uh, finish up a conversation right in the middle. Maybe you're saying something you know, profound or something really heart-wrenching, and then I, I say, okay, everybody, you know, uh, turn towards me, but I, I know it's hard to do that, um, but I appreciate you guys uh, being able to do that. All right, so welcome to boot camp, everybody. Amen? All right, all right. I can tell already you're tired of boot camp, all right? I am Drill Sergeant Dave, okay? I'm not a lieutenant major or a general. I'm just a lowly drill sergeant, right? And uh, let's one more time, as an army of Jesus, uh, read together. This, by the way, it's my favorite time. You guys do such a great job. I didn't know how this would turn out, but every time we do this, you guys put your heart into it. And so I'm really excited. So one more time, as an army of Jesus, let's stand up and let's read together from our divine military manual. In Ephesians chapter 6, let's read together as an army of God, starting in verse 10. Uh, let's do it together. Let's read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And all God's soldiers said, Amen. Amen. You can give yourselves a hand. You guys did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, in order to help us with the big picture and to keep us on track, let's review what we've already learned. So in the beginning of this series, we said that if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you are a child of God and you're regenerate, then you have been automatically enlisted as a soldier in the Lord's army. Well, you might ask, why? Why has that happened? Well, because this world is a war zone. We said this world is fallen and it's broken. And you don't need me to tell you. You can turn on the news. You can uh, watch what's happening around us, and we see that this world is fallen and broken. It truly is a war zone. And God knows that we live in a war zone. He knows that we have a spiritual enemy that will stop at nothing to destroy us. 
So then God gives us complete armor. And I, I, I believe that's so wonderful that God gives us complete armor that from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, we're truly protected from the enemy and we're poised for victory. So let, let's review a little bit. We said, number one, that our belt is truth. And just like when the Roman soldiers uh, put on their belts, it signifies they're committed to Rome and the cause of Rome. So also when we put on the belt, we're saying that we're committed to the truth of God's word. Using the belt of truth means that we make God's word our ultimate authority, not human philosophies, not human uh, religions, not human experiences, not human culture. But we believe that God's word is where all of our decisions stem from. Not only that, but we said that our breastplate is righteousness. Well, what is that? Well, it's righteous living. It's living the way that God intended us to live. When we put on the breastplate, we are determined and we're purposed to live the right way. We said that this is not a, a breastplate of self-righteousness, though. It's not as if we muster all the righteousness in and of ourselves because the Bible says that we can't generate righteousness that pleases God. It's like filthy rags. And so we're talking about Jesus' righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus imputed to our account and imparted to us through his finished work on the cross. And so using the breastplate of righteousness means living out that God-given righteousness in our everyday lives. We call it sanctification. Now, number three, last week we said that our shoes are peace with God. In order to stand firm and stand strong, we need to have confidence in our relationship with God. But remember, we said that it's not about eternal security. It's not about uh, being a child of God because once we come to know Christ, we're born into his family. We can't be unborn. So we have that security in us. We have that, that confidence with God in our ultimate relationship with him. But that doesn't mean that in our day-to-day -day lives, we can't, we can't be disobedient children. That we um, can't fail and we can't uh, disobey. And so the shoes of peace, it's all about the joy and the satisfaction that we have walking in step with our Father. And so in order to do that, because it's so important, if we're living in disobedience, if we're living a rebellious lifestyle, even as children of God, God's not happy and we're not happy. And so it's all about wearing the shoes of peace, regular confession and repentance of sin. We said that our shield is faith. Well, what is that? It's personal trust in God and his character. So that when I put up the shield of faith, I'm constantly and consistently trusting God every day of my life instead of doubting him. And we use Jesus as the perfect example of the soldier that puts up the shield of faith in his battle with Satan uh, when he was tempted. And so when you think about it, this is a very simple sermon series. It's designed to be that way. It's all about what is that piece of armor all about and how do I use it? What is the armor and how do I use it? And that's the vision for this series. It's all about you practically using it every day in your life while you're here on this earth. We want you to put on the full armor of God. Amen? We want to put it all on and we want to leave it on. And so the, the next one that we're going to look at is the helmet of salvation. If you're taking notes, put down the helmet of salvation. I know every piece of armor is important to a soldier, 
But can I share with you, this is my absolute favorite part of the armor. The helmet of salvation is essential to victory. Now, let's look at the Roman helmet, and I have it pictured up here. It was called the Galia, okay, the Galia. And all of us have seen in movies and in TV miniseries, we've seen the Galia. The helmet was a reinforced iron helmet, and you, if you look at the picture, you see the full cheek guards to protect the face and the back plate to protect the neck. And so when you look at that, you see that the Roman soldier was protected entirely, and it was a unique type of helmet that protected the entire head of the Roman legionary. Now, why was that important? Because of the kind of people that the Romans fought. Do you know they fought very interesting, very uh, powerful enemies? They fought, if we could put the next picture up, they fought the Picts, okay? Put them up. Ooh, that's fearsome, okay? The Picts. And what was interesting about the Picts is uh, when they would go to battle, they would paint themselves entirely blue, okay? I think that's where we get the Smurfs from, to be honest. I'm not joking. I think that's where we get the Smurfs from is these picked warriors that would paint themselves entirely blue and they would go to battle naked, if you can imagine, okay? Actually only carrying a long sword many times. And they would yell out a war cry. Actually Caesar in his memoirs said that when he fought the Picts, it felt like they were fighting uh, non-human uh, monsters and demons. They would come out and they would come in waves so fiercely at the Roman legions. Not only do you have the Picts, but you also have another group called the Dacians. Can we show them? The Dacians. Now, these guys were interesting because they used a long, two-handed sickle type of sword to rain blows on the Roman shields. Now, remember, we saw it last week, right? We saw uh, clips where the Roman soldiers would put their shields up. Well, these Dacians had a solution to the Roman shields. They uh, carried these long sickle swords that would go above the shields and go right into the helmets of the Roman soldiers. And they exact a, a great toll on the Romans, so much so that during the Dacian Wars, the Romans actually reinforced their uh, helmets because of the damage that the Dacians were doing. So the Roman soldier needed the full protection from these weapons that were thrown at them. So why am I saying all this? Well, what is our helmet? The Bible says our helmet is salvation. Remember uh, from two weeks ago, we said that salvation is a continuum, okay? Uh, when we look at salvation, many times we look at uh, just one part of salvation, but salvation is not just our initial salvation experience, it's a continuum. And the Bible looks at salvation as a continuum. And if we don't understand this, we could get confused at certain passages of scripture. Like we see passages that say, for by grace you're saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. And we say, amen. That was my salvation experience. But then we see passages like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we say, well, hey, I thought it was by uh, grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Now you're saying it's of works? I don't understand, right? We could get that. Or we see passages like, now is our salvation nearer than when we were first saved. And we say, that doesn't make sense. You know, I, I was saved. I was born into the family of God. Now is it nearer? That, I don't understand that. Well, if we understand salvation as a continuum, then we understand what this passage is saying. Because there are three process points 
in the salvation continuum. Remember I had the three musketeers come up here and they showed you pieces of paper and we kind of went through this, uh, but let me remind you uh, of all this, okay? Uh, by the way, three musketeers are three high school girls, okay? Not, not okay, yeah, because you know, some of you are visiting. So anyway, that's what we were doing. But the process points of the salvation continuum is something that we want to talk about. Number one, we see salvation past. We give it the theological term justification. And it's the idea that I was born into the family of God. I was saved. I had a spiritual birthday. Then Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. That makes sense. That's what happened to me when I was justified. That was justification. But then we have another uh, uh, process point, and that is salvation present. And we give it the theological term sanctification, right? Where I am being saved. I was born in the family of God. I had a spiritual birthday. But I'm not uh, only born. I need to grow. I need to mature. I need to look more and more like Jesus Christ, the one who saved me, you know, my spiritual parent. And so here, uh, the, the, the verse in Philippians 2, continue to work out your own salvation makes sense. We work out what's already given to us, and we do it with soberness and with seriousness and with commitment. That's the fear and trembling idea that we have. But it doesn't stop there. We have salvation past, justification. We have salvation present, sanctification. But then we have salvation future, and we call that glorification, that I will one day finally fully be saved, that I will be perfected in God's family, that I'll be glorified in heaven. And that's where Romans 13 comes in. Now is our salvation nearer than when we were first saved, right? Glory is coming. So why do I share all this with you? It's because the helmet of salvation refers to the third process point. It refers to glorification. It is the anticipation of the future promise that was given. That one day we will be glorified. That one way, day we will have full and final victory. Amen? Amen. And so we need to anticipate that. What is anticipation? The best way I can describe it is when I was a high school student, uh, my mom would make kalbi uh, jim, which was braised kalbi, my favorite dish in the whole world, right? And so as I'm studying, all of a sudden my mom would make this kalbi jim, right? Short rib braised, right? And it would, it would waft, the smell would waft into my room as I'm studying. And I, I couldn't even study, right? Because my mouth would start salivating and all I could think of was kalbi jim. You know, and all I could think about was, oh, I want to eat it. Now, it was still cooking. It was still being delicious, right? Getting cooked. I couldn't eat it, but the smell would come in and I would anticipate it. I would anticipate fully and finally having the dish that I always loved. That's what the helmet of salvation is. You can smell the victory coming. You can anticipate that you're going to enjoy that. It's only a matter of time. It's still working itself out, but fully and finally one day it'll be realized. Now, why is that important? It's because the helmet of salvation protects you from the long sword of discouragement. That long sword of discouragement is being swung at your head. You know, and many of you, you understand what, uh, what this is all about. Here you've committed to living a righteous lifestyle. Here you're committed to walking with the Lord. And then all of a sudden... Right? A temptation comes and you fall into it. And you become so discouraged and you think to yourself, I can't do this. I'm not equipped for this. This temptation is too great. These things are too great. 
you know what, I'm just going to give up. And how many people they've given up uh, and, and, and not move forward in their Christian life and become a casualty because of the long sword of discouragement? Or how about the falcs of disillusionment, all right? What's being swung at your head? All of a sudden, unexpected persecution comes from being a Christian. All of a sudden, a trial that you never anticipated arises in your life and really takes you by storm. And you feel the Christian life is just too hard to live. And you quit. And you give up running the race. You just kind of sit by the wayside. And you make your life of no effect for eternity. The long sword of discouragement, the falcs of disillusionment are there to destroy you. But you know what the helmet of salvation does? It protects you from that. It reminds you that you only have a short time to fight the spiritual warfare compared to eternity. Do you know that here on earth, heaven, or, uh, it, it's not our home? Heaven is our home. This world is a temporary place. You know, there's a gospel song. I'm not going to sing it. I've sung it before. But there's a gospel song that goes, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm just passing through. This fallen earth is a temporary pit stop compared to eternity. You know, how do I put on my helmet? And this is really important. If you're taking notes, write this down. You put on the helmet of salvation by aggressively living the Christian life, knowing that you've already won. You aggressively live out the Christian life and march forward in faith, knowing that you've already won. You know, I've shared this illustration, but actually this illustration is what uh, originally uh, um, is supposed to be uh, given with this particular a sermon. So I don't feel bad sharing it, but some of you have heard it already. My senior year, I played basketball for the Emmanuel Warriors. So I played high school basketball. And that year, we were undefeated in our conference of Christian school, schools, excuse me, the Great Lakes Christian School Conference, okay? That was a big deal, right? We were undefeated in our conference of Christian schools. So much so that we were invited to New York to play in a large conference tournament of all these Christian schools around the country. And we won. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Some of you, you're great. Okay, so anyway, so I was so excited. Oh, my gosh. And we, as high school students, we thought we were invincible. We were indestructible. I mean, we won our conference of Christian schools. We played in a conference where we beat everybody, you know, uh, around the country, their Christian schools. And so we thought we were something. The last game that we were going to play on our schedule, we were playing the city division champs of our, uh, of our area, the Ottawa Hills Bears. And they were supposed to be amazing. They were undefeated that year too uh, in the city division, right? And so we had uh, a scheduled on our last game, and it was an away game. So we went over there, right, uh, cross uh, cross city and uh, we went and it was a packed audience and uh, we brought our little contingent there and uh, we started to get ready so uh, during warm-ups right during layups um, all of a sudden we got a chance to see and we've never seen the Ottawa Hills Bears before 
but automatically we saw the difference, okay? They were all African-American. Our guys, we were all Caucasian except for me. I was the token Asian guy, right? And our tallest guy, our, our center was about 6'4". Uh, their point guard was about 6'4", okay? And they had a 6'10 center. So imagine, these guys coming out and we were doing, you know, we were doing these layup drills and we're looking over and we're like, oh man, they look different, right? They look different from us. But we're like, ah, but we can win, you know? We're the best, we, we beat all the Christian schools around, so we're the best, right? So it came down to tip off, right? When the whistle blew and they would score a point, then we would score a point. They would score a point, then we would score a point. And we hung with them for about 10 minutes, okay? And then we just started getting blown out. So by halftime, we were down by 30 points, all right? 30 points. And before halftime closed, all of a sudden these cheerleaders came. Like, where'd they come from, right? Uh, they came up, and the Ottawa Hills Bears cheerleaders led them in this cheer. And it was a pretty powerful cheer. It went like this. They would cry out, isn't that the scoreboard? And all of a sudden, the whole gym would erupt, yes, that is the scoreboard. And then they would yell, isn't that the right score? And everybody would yell, yes, that is the right score. They'd look over at their team and they'd say, isn't that the winning team? And everybody would yell, yes, that is the winning team. Then they'd look over at us. I'm sitting on the bench, right? And they'd say, isn't that the losing team? And everybody would yell, yes, that is the losing team, right? So in order for you to feel my pain, I need you to help me, okay? I'll be the cheerleader and you guys be the Ottawa Hills Bears crowd, okay? So I'll... I'll do it, and then you respond. Now, you guys did so well on the scripture reading, right, that I expect you to do a great job on this, okay? So, isn't that the scoreboard? Yes, that is. Isn't that the right score? Isn't that the winning team? Isn't that the losing team? Isn't that the scoreboard? Isn't that the right score? Isn't that the winning team? Isn't that the losing team? Hey, give yourselves a hand. That was awesome. And then they would yell, scoreboard, right score, winning team, losing team. Scoreboard, right score, winning team, losing team. Winners, losers, winners, losers. You suck, you suck. Losers go home, you know? And I'm sitting on the bench. I'm like, I want to go home. I just, just want to go home. Come on, I, I can't stay here anymore, right? And I remember, you know, at halftime, we went into uh, our visitor's locker room, and our coach, man, he was an orator, right? He was a motivator. He would talk to us about David and Goliath. He was a Christian school and everything. And he would tell us, we can win, man, just like David won, you know? And he would give us all that. And so we got as pumped up as we could, and we got out there, and uh, we started playing our hearts out. And you know what? We lost by 60 points. We just got destroyed. But can I share with you? I'll never forget when we came out for halftime, just the attitude and the posture of, our, of the Ottawa Hills Bears. I mean, they came out with such confidence. They were high-fiving each other. They, they, they hadn't even won yet. We still have a half to play. They were already joking around. When, when, when it came down to it, you know, they, they'd start alley-ooping to their 6'10 guy, and he was dunking it. Uh, they were shooting from half court, half court, like Steph Curry shot. Steph Curry wasn't even alive back then, but they, they were doing that kind of stuff. They were having the time of their lives. They were having so much fun at our expense, right? And you know what? I learned something. 
their daring, their confidence, their aggressiveness, their I don't care attitude. You know what that came from? Because they knew that they had already won. They knew that it was a matter of time. They knew it, they had already won, and it affected their posture and their attitude. When you know that you've already won, it changes your entire attitude. Did you know that? You know, I love watching uh, basketball, and when the finals come, I get excited. You know, as men, we, we watched, actually, the Golden State Warriors play. Do you remember that? They played the Celtics, and we had such a great time. But if you know, right, you've seen me, I get really animated when I get frustrated or when I get scared that the Golden State Warriors won't win. I'll, I'll yell at the TV. I'll pace back and forth. I mean, I'm a mess, right? Uh, but thank God we still have a good time doing that. But do you know what I find really interesting? When I DVR a sports event, right, and I know that the Golden State Warriors have already won or the Lakers have already won, and I know that my team was able to, uh, to, to win, I'm so different when I watch it. My posture, my outlook, I'm not crazy because I already know what happens. So if Steph Curry misses a three-pointer, I'm like, ah, that's okay. He'll get another one, right? If Draymond Green does a stupid play, you know, ah, he's not stupid. He's all right. He's cool. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm chill. You know why? Because I already know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's good to skip to the back of the book. And when we read the Bible and we go to the back of the book in Revelation 20 through 22, guess what? We win. Amen? We win the war. Satan doesn't win. The demon demonic network that is oppressing us here on this earth doesn't win. The Bible says that Jesus wins. And we as his saints, we ride with him in victory. It's just a matter of time. You see, when you know that victory is coming, when you know your glory is certain, you can confidently, aggressively finish out your tour, tour of duty in this Christian life. Can I ask you this morning, are you discouraged? Are you disillusioned? Are you defeated? Have you quit living the Christian life? Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, put the helmet on, amen? Put the helmet on. The next piece of armor that we want to look at is the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit. Now, the Roman sword was called the gladius, and this is a very interesting uh, sword. It was an 18-inch short sword that was used in close hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was their primary weapon. wasn't a long sword. wasn't a, a battle axe. It wasn't a, you know, a, a, a big thing. It was actually a short sword. We have a picture of it, if you could look at it. I actually brought one with me because I really, really, really was inspired by, oh, if we have junior hires in here, they're going crazy right now. The guys are like, oh my gosh, is that a real sword? Yes, it's a real sword, all right? This is the gladius, the gladius hispaniensis. And it's so interesting, this sword, because of the way that it is. It actually comes to a very aggressive point because the Roman sword, you know, a lot of times the long swords were meant to kind of sweep, you know, and try to catch something and kill something. The Roman short sword was very precise, and it was a thrusting instrument, right? You thrust it into the face of your opponent, right? You thrust it into the neck of your opponent, right? Any soft spot, any joint that you're able to, uh, and kill somebody, right? And so it was meant to be that way. Now, the sides were very, very, you know, sharp, ah, 
I'm just joking. All right. So the sides are, uh, this is very dull, this one, okay? I, I wouldn't bring a sharp sword to, 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 to this place. But um, the, the sides were very sharp to hack at, but it was meant to be a thrusting instrument. Because remember, Romans fought side by side, okay? So they fought uh, together with their shields up. So thrusting would be the major component, right? Like if you had a long sword, you couldn't actually, all the Roman soldiers couldn't have a long sword. They like, you know, cut the heads off their friends, okay? They, they couldn't do that. So you'd have to thrust, right? And so that would be the, the brilliance of the Roman military. They fought as a team. They maneuvered over barbarians, right? The barbarians would use these long swords, but many times they'd be fighting heroically, yet fighting alone. The Roman so soldier could stay close in formation together, and that's where their strength was. And so because of that, special training was needed to be effectively uh, using the gladius. Long swords, battle axes, falcs, it doesn't need much for you to become pretty proficient in. But when you use a gladius, special training was needed. So what is our gladius? The Bible tells us our gladius is the sword of the spirit, right? Which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what is the word of God? Well, let me give you an acrostic. I think will help you a great deal. What I did was, I, uh, if we can put it up, I put an acrostic for scripture, right? So that each letter represents uh, what we want to talk about. So the S stands for spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned, right? There are truths that the unsaved man or woman cannot understand. It's not that they can't read it like they could read any book, but they can't understand the spiritual truth that's there because they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It's foolishness to them. The Bible is, a spir is spiritual. The Holy Spirit living inside of us helps us to experience these truths. C stands for Christ-centered. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his, enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you know the Bible or Jesus' interpretation was that all scripture referred to him as Messiah? That the Bible is messianic. It is Christ-centered. It is the Jesus book. We see it throughout scripture. Let me give you an example. In Genesis, we see him as the seed of the woman. In Exodus, we see him as the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, we see him as the high priest. In Numbers, he is the star and scepter. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, we see him as the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is the lawgiver. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. Kings and Chronicles, he's the perfect king. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls. In Esther, he is providence. In Job, he is dayspring. Psalms says that he's the messianic Lord. Proverbs calls him God's wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us he's the meaning to life. Song of Solomon says he is the lover and the bridegroom. Isaiah prophesied he is the prince of peace. Jeremiah prophesied he's the righteous branch. 
Lamentation shows him as the weeping prophet. Ezekiel prophesies he's the wheel that turns around and around. Daniel says he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Hosea says he's the husband married to the harlot. Joel says he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Amos prophesies he's the burden bearer. Obadiah prophesies he's the mighty savior. Jonah says he is the great missionary. Micah prophesies he's the messenger with the beautiful feet who carried the gospel. Nahum says he is the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk says he is the great evangelist that cries for a revival. Zephaniah prophesies he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, he is the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he's prophesied as the merciful father. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Matthew said, I saw him. He is Mashiach. Mark said, we saw him. He is the divine servant. Luke said, I saw him. He's the son of man. John said, no, I saw him. He's the son of God. They all declare he's the ascended Lord who sends the Holy Spirit. Romans says he is the justifier. Corinthians says he is the gifts of the spirit. Galatians says he is the bondage breaker. Ephesians says he is the Christ of riches. Philippians, he is the God who meets our every need. Colossians says he is the fullness of the Godhead. Thessalonians prophesies he's the soon coming king. Timothy says he's the mediator between God and man. Titus proclaims him as the faithful pastor. Philemon says he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in Hebrews, he is the blood that washes my sins away. In James, he's the great physician. In Peter, he is the chief shepherd. In John, he is everlasting love. And Jude prophesies he is the Lord coming down with 10,000 saints in his hand. And in Revelation, we see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. This is the Messianic Jesus book. It is Christ-centered wherever you turn. R stands for revelation. In 2 Peter 1.20, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but, God, but men spoke uh, from God as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. What does this tell us? It tells us that the Bible is the mind of God revealed to us, men and women. I stands for inspired. Think about this. 40 different authors in three languages spanning three continents for 1,600 years of time, and you won't find a single contradiction. Why? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it says all scripture is God. God breathed. It's inspired. He's the author who breathed on men of different times and cultures and personalities, and there's perfect unity. P stands for protective, Matthew 4. Uh, we shared it last week that Jesus effectively defended himself against Satan in his temptation using the word of God. T stands for transforming. Isaiah 55, 11. Here's God speaking. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Bible has the power to achieve its purposes. It's sovereign in its way of transforming lives. U stands for unique. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
It cuts the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, this book is like no other book that you possess. Because this book, the Bible says, is living and it's active. It's able to reach into the heart and determine the intentions and the motives of us. And it's able to transform us in ways that no other book can. It's because it is a supernatural book. It's unique. R stands for refreshing. Psalm 119 says, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in suffering is this, that your promise preserves my life. There have been so many times that I have been uh, in struggle or I've uh, been in um, issues and I'll open up the Psalms. And the Lord begins speaking to me as if God is speaking only to me. And that's the power of scripture, that it can be so refreshing, that it can encourage your hearts as soon as you open it. E stands for eternal. Isaiah 48, 40 and verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. God's word is eternal in all things, in everything that it does. You know what this tells me? That God's word is indestructible. That during the Enlightenment, the famous French philosopher and atheist Voltaire said in his lifetime, he said, within 25 years, the Bible will become non-existent except in some dusty museum. That's what he said. Do you know 50 years later, when Voltaire died, the Geneva Bible Society used his house to make Bibles. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? That underlines the fact that God's word is indestructible. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, well, how do I use it? How do I use the sword of the spirit? Well, Roman soldiers had to practice long hours with their gladius to become effective. The broadsword, like I said, the battle axe, the falcs, doesn't take too much training. You just kind of... Wing it around, and it'll get somebody, right? But the gladius, you needed constant training, working together in order to be effective. And then how perfect is that metaphor for the way that we use the Word of God? In order to expertly handle the Word of God, it takes practice and it takes training, right? Uh, you know, I have a friend, uh, not the Steve uh, that's here, Steve Chun, okay? But there's another Steve uh, whose uh, grandfather was a kendo master. If you, do, if you don't know what kendo is, it's the art of uh, samurai, kind of sword fighting and everything. He was a Korean, but he was a master at it, okay? And uh, he swears by, this is anecdotal, but he swears that this is true, okay? That Steve's grandpa, when he's about 65 years old, <coughs> he was walking with his cane like he always did in Seoul, and three gangsters, three gangsters, right, tried to rob him. And he beat the crap out of all of them, right, with just his cane. Now, he tells me it's true, but you know, it's amazing. These young gangsters, uh, this uh, old grandpa was able to beat up. Uh, do you know why? It's not because his cane was anything special. It was because of the long hours of training that made his cane a lethal weapon because that weapon was a part of him. And my friend, you don't have an old cane. You have the living Word of God that we have just described. And so for us, we need to learn how to unleash the Word of God in our lives. We need to learn how to use the Word of God uh, when we battle uh, the forces of evil that we come in contact with every day. Okay, 
I close with this illustration. Okay, Kevin, can you come on up, please? <laughs> Kevin. Let's give him a hand. So Kevin, Kevin, uh, two weeks ago, he was my illustration. He was Jesus, right? And I hid behind the Lord, right? Now he's going to play Satan, okay? <laughs> he is the enemy of our souls, okay? Uh, just in case you got a big head, Kevin, okay? He's playing Satan, okay? But the idea here is Satan and the network of, of evil that we have to face is exemplified in him. And so here I am, right? I am trying to fight the forces of evil, right? And here Satan, this imposing, uh, uh, this imposing character comes. And here I understand, hey, the word of God, you know, it's the sword of the spirit. It's all those things we've just described. What I'm doing is I'm hearing the word of God. I come on Sundays, and man, I take notes, and I listen to what the word of God has to say. I listen to Pastor Wilson, listen to Pastor Kevin, listen to Pastor Irwin, listen to Pastor Chrissy. I even listen to Pastor Dave, okay? And I listen to the word, okay? So now Satan comes at me. Put your hand in mine, okay? Don't hurt me, okay? So we're just doing this, okay? So here I'm wrestling, and then all of a sudden, oh, I lose, I lose. And Satan is happy, okay? Satan is happy. He's happy, okay. And I'm defeated, okay? And I realize, oh my gosh, taking on, you know, even uh, with, with the Lord's armor, taking on Satan, that's, that's a very overwhelming thing. And I realize, man, it's not enough just to hear the word of God. Can we, put, can we put up that slide for me? Thanks. It's not enough to hear the word of God. I need to learn to read the word of God for myself. I need to study it. I need to get into that, you know, Genesis reading thing, right? I need to read the entire Bible. I need to know what it teaches. And so I'm hearing the word of God, but I'm also reading it for myself. And now daily he comes and he attacks me and, oh, I lose again, okay? And Satan is happy, right? Yeah, Satan's happy and I'm discouraged. And I'm like, well, what's going on? What's wrong with me? Well, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I have a gladius. And it's not enough to hear the word of God and read the word of God. I need to meditate on the word of God. Remember, moo and chew, right? I need to memorize the word of God. I need to let it seep into my soul. I need to understand its truth, okay? And so now Satan comes at me again, and oh, I lose again. And I'm like, what's going on? How come I keep losing to the enemy of my soul? Well, now I realize, oh my gosh, hearing and reading and meditating is not enough. I need to start applying it to my life. I need to use it. I need to live out its principles. So now I'm hearing, reading, meditating, and applying. I'm hearing, reading, meditating, and applying. I'm hearing, reading, meditating, and applying. I'm making it, just like a soldier uses his gladius and practices with it, I'm practicing with the word of God into my life until finally, right? Until finally it's internalized. It becomes a part of me. Just like Steve's grandpa, right? Picking up a cane. It's not the cane, right? It's him. It's internalized, right? His knowledge, his experience. So the word of God unleashed in my life, I've internalized it. I've hidden his word in my heart. So it goes from being an external book to an internal reality. Amen? Amen. Do you understand what that is? It's not an external book anymore. It's an internal reality that I've heard and read and meditated upon and applied to my life until it's engrafted into the very fibers of my being. And so now when Satan comes to me, I am able to. I am able to win. Thanks. Let's give him a hand. He's so awesome. I love Kevin. I could beat him in real life. You know that? I could. No, I'm just joking. I can't. But anyway, anyway, I don't even want to try, okay? But anyway, so that's what happens when we learn to use the word of God. Let's expertly handle the Bible. 
It takes training and practice. Let's put on the helmet of salvation. It reminds us that we've already won. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it speaks to us in a very, very personal way. And we ask, Lord, that the armor of God would be something that we would be, we would be motivated to use every day of our lives, Lord. That we don't want to be away from it at all. That we want to be complete in your protection and in your victory for us. Lord, we pray that we would use it. And next week when we uh, talk about prayer, Lord, we ask that we would learn how to be powerful prayer warriors as well. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.